Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak, lead pastor of Foothills Christian Church for the last 23 years. This is a podcast dedicated to the people of Foothills who want to go deeper into what we are currently studying in the Bible and how what we are studying in the Bible helps us navigate what is going on in our world today. So you're going to study the Bible, study history, study philosophy, and how it all fits together. Without further ado, let's welcome Pastor Doug. Thank you, Jesse. I always... Love that voice and the way you do that. I can't stop it. It literally just happens. It just I get in the brain brain space of when I used to tour professionally and do what I'm seeing. And whenever you introduce someone, you got to drop into those or lower octaves, so you just create this like authority and power behind the. And I've always thought I could go pretty low, but you have me beat like no tomorrow. I mean, you can drop down in that octave. Piece of cake. I'm, going, I'm going down to those Barry Manilow sections of the uh, of the octaves. <laughs> Don't get me singing Barry Manilow. No one will listen. People that's will tune how we, out. That's how we tank the podcast immediately. <laughs> immediately yeah. <laughs> well, let's pick up. We on Tuesday discussed some biblical principles from Chapter 40 that come from the life of Joseph. Uh, could you remind us what we discussed? Well, we talked about how in any and all situations, good or bad, God's General will is in effect because he's sovereign. You know, God is sovereign. And no matter how hard we would like to know, ultimately, we can't connect the dots because we're incapable. We just can't just do can't it. process it. It's just too immense. Uh, second of all is that God is revealing his plan, though. I mean, it's not like we can't know. God is revealing his plan, his general will. And uh, if we then kind of grab onto that, we can develop what I call a biblical worldview. And that is we see reality of what's happening differently than people who don't have a biblical worldview. And so that then pulls us to an interpretation of these current events. And when you interpret current events, you really have to be disciplined I think and it's almost like how scientists have to be disciplined and you have to do two basic things in order to take your own bias out of it. And the first one is you have to be really knowledgeable of the scriptures and it's not enough to just read them, but really know the scriptures. And then the second thing you have to do is you have to have a knowledge of uh, patterns that have played out in human history. And so it's really important to do that. And I, I tend to be really attracted and drawn to people who talk about God's general will, what God is doing, overarching, who Christ is, why Christ came, what he's doing that. And I tend to distrust a little bit people who make these really specific dictates of what's happening right now and what this means. And, and the reason why is because uh, they're not familiar with the patterns of history. And like last week, uh, I was really hard on, on Carl Lentz because I think he represents this diversion that's happening in the church today. It's getting diverted. It's being pulled away. And we can talk about that in a moment. Um, and then also, uh, there's not a deep understanding and respect for the scripture. And when I, if I go to the scriptures and read it, I have presuppositions and biases myself, right? Right. Now, the question is, is am I going to fit the, the text into my presuppositions and my bias? Or am I going to take steps to mold my presuppositions and my bias 
to the scriptures. And that is important. And significantly harder. It's significantly harder. Yeah, you've really got to make sure. Like a scientist goes to great lengths to make sure that his own biases, even subconscious ones, can't be written into the experiment. Right. Right. And then he sends it out or she sends it out and somebody else repeats it. And they try to blind themselves, do all these things just so that they don't want any bias in it. They don't want zero placebo effect. They don't want anything to taint the outcome. And that's how science is, there's a purity to it in that regards. Uh, A long time ago, there was a uh, Christian artist by the name of Rich Mullins, and he wrote a song, and in it, he said, uh, what I believe is the very truth of God. And he he says, I am not making it, it is making me. Hmm. And so I thought, what an insightful way to say it. I'm not making it, it's making me. Absolutely. So... That's what we talked about, and I think that those things are really apropos to what's going on in the world today. Well, let's talk about that. How are they apropos to current events? How are these principles affecting us today? Don't you love that word, apropos? Apropos. (laughs) Sometimes I have real good words. I think you usually have way bigger words than I do, but sometimes I've got some good words. It's it's the curse of reading so much. No, it's good. We we can also add to uh, that intro. You also learn vocabulary when listening to the salty <laughs> salty pastor. New words. Well, I think what's happening right now in the world, but in particularly America and particularly American Christianity, is a gigantic threshing or a sifting, and that is threshing in the Old Testament is basically what happened is after they would harvest the grain, you'd have the the head of the grain. And it's it's attached to a stalk, any type of cereal, you know, like an oat or wheat or barley or these types of things. All the ones that the kids don't like. Yeah, all the things the kids don't like. And uh, but as you get older, you like them. I know. I was like, I've actually that, that sounded really good. All of a <laughs> it's like, man, I like that. So what happens is uh, is that uh, they would thresh it, and what they would do, uh, particularly in wheat and some of these barley's, is that the the wheat kernel itself before you crush it into flour it has this very thin layer on it similar to like when you're eating peanuts out of the shell right you know it has that it like has that little brown filmy film thing, thing on it and so what you have to do and that's called chaff and so what they would do is they would go up to a, a hilltop where it was a little bit more windy and then they'd have the ground it was if they liked laying out stone uh, but they wanted it as hard and smooth as they could and so they'd throw these giant baskets of grain that they just harvested and then they would take this stick and this stick would be about nine feet long and what they would do is at about the six foot part they would cut the stick and they would put a piece of leather in there like a hinge so then they'd take this stick and then they would hit the ground and then that three foot section would slap it right and so it was usually anywhere from two to four inches wide and they would just slap it and what that would do is separate the chaff, that thin film on the kernel. And then what they would do is they'd take these big flat baskets and they would scoop up what they had just threshed. They'd slapped it. And then they would throw it in the air. And guess what would happen? The wind would blow all the chaff away and all the grain would fall back fall down, back down into the basket because of its weight. Okay. And so and that's how you separate the wheat from the chaff. And, and for them, in this biblical culture where the, the scriptures are revealed, that was a very common thing that they understood. You have to separate it. Uh, the other thing they understood is in Matthew 25, 
Jesus talks about the separation of the sheep from the goats at the final judgment. And, and the goats are like, and the sheep are like, well, how did we know we were doing what we were supposed to do? It's really interesting. None of them said, hey, we did exactly what you said. You owe us. It says he starts separating and they're like, well, why? And he tells them. And I find that a really interesting perspective. But what's happening in the church today is a separation. And the data is pointing that out. And that is, uh, I think we talked a little bit about this before, but if if you really look into the data, only about 30% of the population of people in the United States actually practice their faith. And that includes Roman Catholicism, LDS, you know, all that stuff. People actually practice their faith. Right. And out of that number, since the pandemic started, about 33% have just quit. Hmm. They just, yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. And it's not that they quit believing, but they just quit practicing their they faith. They stopped being active. They just... yeah. Said, they don't and, until until yeah. this is all over we're just gonna not yeah and i and i think that of course is a deception that's a fallacy you know it's like it's like this it's like yeah i'm not feeling really good i'm just gonna quit going to the gym hey yeah. you're, you're, you seem like you're calling me out right five, now and then five, <laughs> yeah, five years later you're still paying for a gym membership <laughs> to a place you haven't been you know what i'm saying yeah and that's kind of how it works and and so i i think that uh that's kind of, that there's this big threshing going on right now. And so, so that's just what's happening because of the pandemic. People's faith are being challenged. In some ways, that's a real difficult thing to go through. But in another thing, I, I'm just, it's exciting because now people have an opportunity like never before to actually have their faith become real and alive like it's never become before. And the people who really are walking with God are going to really walk with God. And those who are just playing at it, aren't going to do it anymore. They're going to blow away like chaff. They'll blow away like chaff. And th- so there's always this threshing going on, this, this restoration. So I, I feel this wonderful, beautiful opportunity to see the, the, the renewal of authentic faith in the lives of people. Because I think what's happened is so many people have relied upon systems to bring their life meaning. You know, like, for instance, they've relied on the school system, right? Mm-hmm. And they built their life around the school system. Well, guess what? School system's doing what now? It's not meeting. They're not meeting. Here in Boise, at least. Yeah. I mean, you know, across the country, a lot of school systems are closed. A lot of people spend a lot of time watching sports. You know, one of the most painful things that I've been reading just this weekend is college football conferences are canceling the season. And I just read today, uh, no, I read it on Monday, I think. Maybe it was Tuesday. I can't remember, but I read that Boise State football is not going to be playing football this fall mm. that brought that's a big, wailing that's a big deal and gnashing for a lot of people in of Boise. oh man <laughs> that that just kills me you know because, but but i think society wise we put our faith in these systems you know to entertain us encourage us lift us up what happens when all that's stripped away well and it's going to continue i think because like they're not producing anything new. So a lot of the, yeah. you, know, a lot, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm just watching Netflix a lot. I'm at home doing all this content. The content's going to dry up soon because they can't make new content right now yeah. because of COVID. So it's like, yeah. it's not, these systems are going to devolve more before they yeah. Excellent get better. Point. Unless you're listening to the Salty Pastor. <laughs> Which is always, every week, going to be made. So. <laughs> Man, new content, bro. But I think that um, this threshing is, is really difficult but I think we are going to see a wondrous, beautiful 
strong faith just burst into the life of so many people because they're either going to get into God and and get serious with Jesus or they're not. And there's not going to be this sort of anymore, you know, in between. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing that's happening. You know, I do think, though, that as we go down this process, this threshing, we have to be really careful in the church. And that is we have to be really careful about diversions. And I think the principles in, of Joseph show us what happens when even the original family that God had chosen got diverted by, you know, wanting to be wealthy or wanting to be cool or wanting to be accepted. And so they got jealous and, you know, so what happened to that family? It got off track, a lot of diversions. And the church can fall into that as well. So I'm worried about those diversions. Well, like what kind of diversions? Like, is there like a historical context of diversions that you've seen? Or like, what kind of diversions are you worried about? Yeah, well, yes, very much so. And uh, whenever there's massive change, churches try to seek answers quickly and they can jump on a bandwagon of a social movement because at first the language that's being used reflects their language. And what they don't realize is that Satan uses these things all the time throughout history. The first big one was in the fourth century, and that is in the first 300 years of the Roman Empire when Christ uh, uh, rose from the dead, Christianity was illegal, and it grew like wildfire. And there were times when there was like a a little detente between them. There was a Trajan amnesty and so forth. But in essence, what happened is Christianity, while it was illegal, won the culture. They won. They won the cultural battles. They won all that kind of stuff. And then the worst thing that could ever happen happened to them. And that is because they won the cultural battles and because they got so strong, there was a fight for the emperor of Rome between Constantine and another guy. And Constantine's mother was a devout believer. And so Constantine has a dream, and his dream is basically, if I adopt the symbolism of Christianity, then I'm going to win. And so what he did is he baptized his armies. And this is how he baptized the armies, is he had his soldiers walk through rivers, march through rivers, they pulled their swords out of the sheaths and raised them above their heads so their whole body was baptized except their sword arm. And then he painted the cross on their shields. And what's interesting about this is his force was outnumbered three to one. And he had an inferior tactical advantage, not just out of numbers, but out of the terrain. And yet he ended up winning the battle. Hmm. So the sign there for many people was like, oh, my goodness. The God Lord is, is with him. Yeah, the Lord was with him. And, and so he, you know, there's, a, there's not a lot known about Constantine. But what Constantine did basically is he used Christianity to win a war. And we see that happening over and over and over again. Uh, Charlemagne used it in trying to restore what he called the Holy Roman Empire to Europe. And 
what he did is he would go into entire villages that he conquered and he would force baptize everybody. So, which that doesn't seem to be the revelation of Jesus Christ. That wasn't what he was really about was forcing himself. And <laughs> yeah, you know, and this is called the doctrine of non-coercion. And that is, is that, you know, knowing God is a relationship of love and it's a renewal of the soul and you can't force or coerce it. A person has to freely surrender, you know, and so uh, Charlemagne did that. We went over and over. Uh, 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 there's a, a number of others that I could go into historically, but probably one of the most uh, horrendous ones was Nazi Germany. You know, a lot of people are not aware of this, but right after Adolf Hitler came to power, he only came to power with 33% of the vote. So we only had 33% of parliament. And so right after that, with I think it was in six months, the parliament building blew up with a bomb. He hmm. blamed it on the communists, but then he imposed martial law. And then what he did is in order to win support, he went to the Lutheran church and he made a deal with them. And so the Lutheran church took the Nazi swastika and superimposed it upon the Lutheran symbolic cross. And so the Lutheran church became an arm of the Nazi party. And a lot of people don't like talking about that. You don't ever hear about that in Christendom, and you certainly don't hear about that in your history books. Right. But that's what happened. The other problem was is that the Catholic church chose to remain neutral on this because they, of political pressure. And, and this is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor— saw what it was. He was rooted in the scriptures. And he said, look, you know what the church is doing? The church is jumping on this bandwagon. The church is jumping onto this bandwagon. They're going a part of it because the stuff that the Nazi party is saying right now sounds really, really good. Hey, we want to rebuild the economy. We want everybody to do well. We believe that God's will is that everybody have true justice. You know, people don't realize is that's the stuff that Adolf Hitler actually preached. When he spoke, he talked about economic justice and economic equality. He talked about all these things, and people jumped on board with that. The church jumped on board with it. Uh, you look at today, you look at what's happening in China. A lot of people have no idea what's happening to the church in China. And that is, is that the churches that are allowed to exist are the ones who are now preaching the glories of communism and Xi Jinping, the chairman or the... The, they call him the glorious enlightened leader or right. something like that. Well, and you, you had talked about that last week during the podcast and during the sermon that if they wanted to continue to exist, they had to modify their Bible basically yes. to um, yep. state to, those things. They had to state those things. They had to preach those principles. And if they didn't, and here's what's interesting is that some churches are jumping on that bandwagon, you know. And what, what has happened over the last 2,000 years is that people have found that the followers of Christ can be tremendous forces. And what's happening today, I think, is that uh, what we see is this movement that I talked about last week that was seeded into our culture back in the 30s from the Frankfurt School of Social Theory. It became known as critical theory. It is the primary doctrine taught in all universities in the United States, except for a, a rare few, and it has now become known as critical race theory. And so what we see now is uh, people pushing the church 
to be woke. And that is we're, we're, to be, we're, to, we're to be woke. And that means we're going to finally fight for justice. And we're, we have to have social justice and racial justice. And we have to get rid of systemic uh, issues and problems like systemic racism and systemic economic uh, injustice, systemic this, systemic that. And what's happening is there's a lot of people in the church jumping on that bandwagon. And uh, there's pastors writing books, you know, hey, we're woke and all that kind of stuff like that. And what they don't realize, and this is the concern, is, is that the reason why it's a problem is because the terminology is the same, but they're redefining the biblical meaning of justice. They're redefining the biblical meaning of uh, honesty, integrity. They're redefining the meaning of equality in the eyes of Christ. They're redefining these words and we've experienced this in the past, you know, and that is uh, many, many, many years ago in the 1800s, a man took the language of Christianity and he created a new belief system that came known as the Latter-day Saints. They have the same words, but the definitions of Jesus and God have been redefined. I see this a lot all the time today in our culture when it comes to, like, uh, Islam. People say, well, I don't know why Islam and Christians are so, you know, they say in the center of God, it's just different names. That is a falsehood. The Islamic God is not the God revealed in the Bible. They are dramatically different, and people are not aware of that. And so I think the significant thing that we have to understand is that churches are designed for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to lift up the authentic Jesus Christ as revealed to us in the scriptures. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves jumping on a bandwagon, and then the church ends up doing all kinds of horrific things in the names of Jesus, you know? Mm. Uh, and that's what, that's really a a problem. That's really an issue. In case in point, the church of Christ, Jesus Christ, is called to be pure and truth. And today we have pastors in the name of Jesus Christ advocating untrue things in our society today. And they accept them as fact. And so they're preaching a societal falsehood for the purpose of extending their agenda all in the name of Christ. That never, ever ends well. Well, and it seems like anytime any social movement or government um, takes, uses the church is when the church tends to have its darkest black spots like you mentioned yeah. like the nazis or yep. constantine or yep. things like that it's like it's when they are attached to these other things rather than wholly focused on what the scriptures say and what the biblical truths are that's mm-hmm. when the biggest darkest yeah. time spanish are. inquisition is yeah. a perfect example of that uh we could just go on the list on the list. did you ever see the movie the mission I did you not. know uh, it was a story of this guy seeking redemption and so forth, but it was basically about uh, uh, some priests who went up and they started uh, a little, it wasn't like a monastery, but it's like a mission mm-hmm. uh, to some people way up 
in uh, the Amazon forest and so forth and how the political powers, you know, allowed the destruction of these people from another group because they're, you know, those types of things. That's what happens when the church becomes a geopolitical force. When people lose the purity of understanding that the Jesus Christ, that that the church is the living body of Jesus Christ in the culture. And we, we, we can't go, you can't go right. You can't go left. You know, Jesus is not a political movement. Right. Jesus Christ is the living God who came to redeem your soul. And that's where the purity of the gospel message is. And you, you're not going to achieve anything in this world as a, as a positive influence, as a follower of Christ, if you don't deal with your own sin first. It always begins there. That's why the people who authentically f- follow God can approach the world with humility. You you can't help but approach the world with humility because it begins with the notion that I'm just so happy I get to be in the orchestra. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm so happy I got to be on the team (laughs) because I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in the church. You know, people are like, why, Pastor, you've served the church for so long. You've been so faithful to the church. You love the church so much. Why? Because I shouldn't be in here. Mm. I shouldn't be accepted by the church. But the only reason I am is because that the blood of Christ has redeemed me and that my sins were washed away because of his act of love on the cross for me. And so, man, how can you not love something where you're a part of it when you shouldn't be? Right. It's such a beautiful thing. So each day is new. Each day is wonderful. And, and so you have a sense of humility. And I, I guess what I want to share with people today at Foothills is this, is that we're not a bandwagon church, and I don't think fluff is enough. You know, I've said that the shallowness of Christianity is not enough. And it, and it has to start with you having a radical interaction with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It starts there. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. You know, I mean, I was in the room when all three of my kids were born. It's pretty intense. <laughs> it's not a simple easygoing process no it's not like getting a tattoo or a new haircut yeah (laughs) so it's a pretty intense process and so they the the bible likens meeting jesus to like and that doesn't mean if you didn't have a fall in the gutter you know you know material experience with god you're not saved that's not what i'm saying don't misconstrue that what I am saying, though, is at some point, either in your mind or in your heart, maybe your emotions followed. Don't, it's, not, it's not emotional. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about a, a conviction, which is a wow. It's an enlightenment of the brain. So your brain is immediately. Then there's a sense of my heart, my soul is now confronted with this fact that I am not who I think I really am. I am a broken, sinful person. I need Christ like never before. Um, and then your emotions follow. It doesn't start with an emotional response. It follows with that. But if, it, if you didn't have this big, you know, I know a lot of guys who come to these intense moments with Christ. They're not weeping and melting like warm butter and falling apart. They're just in a situation where it's super intense. And then suddenly, bam, everything just becomes super clear to them. It's like, Wow, they have a confrontation with their true nature and they reach out to God and they go, God, 
these guys I know, I mean, they're tough as nails. I don't think I've ever seen them cry or ever will see them cry. But that doesn't mean they haven't had a radical, intense experience with God. Absolutely. Phenomenal. And so I think that that's where it starts. And that's what our church needs to focus on. And we have to be really careful about these bandwagon social movements. Because in the end, they end up undermining the truth of who Christ is and a biblical worldview. Well, we're close to the end of our time. Is there anything else you want to um, discuss about Sunday's message that's coming up that Pastor Harv's preaching or um, any last thoughts? Well, I, you know, Pastor Harv can't get into all of this stuff in that 25 minutes to, you know, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. And what he's going to be doing is he's going to kind of, he wants to tell the story. And this is an opportunity to just share this with your friends. You know, we, we cut just the message down. So if they're not going to watch with you online and, and you can share it with people, say, you know, listen to Pastor Harv here, talk about this. And he's going to talk about some general things that are going to draw people into these deeper things. And the deeper things of Foothills are this. And that is, is that is that we have always been a church that tries to disciple people and disciples are not mass produced. They're handcrafted. It's in one on one relationships. Mm. And here's how. You're going to know whether you're chaff or you're the real deal. And that is, how willing are you to be in a discipling relationship with somebody else? You know, and that is, have you just put your faith on cruise control? Or have you just put it up on the shelf until the systems can start functioning again? Or are you like, man, my soul is thirsty for discipleship. And wow, that is a wondrous and beautiful thing. And that's how our church is trying to set up. Like right now we have 50 men meeting in discipleship groups. Wow. And so our goal is by the end of this year to have over 75 men in discipleship. I don't even know how many women are involved in discipleship groups. You know, the numbers are huge. Uh, we have mothers who are having to homeschool their kids, forming discipleship groups. Um, we have married couples who want to work on their marriages, forming discipleship groups. It's these discipleship groups, these smaller groups, is where real faith not only takes root, but it just explodes in a massive way. So I think the most important principle I want to share with you listening today is that keep that as a primary goal through this time to see your faith be the real deal and not chaff. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today for today's episode of The Salty Pastor. Um, join us on Sunday for Pastor Harv's sermon, um, 9.30 and 11 Mountain Standard Time. Um, but otherwise, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. All of those things help us get The Salty Pastor out and let us have these deeper conversations with the people that really need to be hearing them. Um, yeah. The algorithm cares. And so if you take those couple minutes just to write a review or leave a uh, a five-star rating, then it helps a lot. Great so yeah. thank you guys so much. We hope you have a blessed weekend and we will see you on Sunday. All right. God bless you. And thank you.